Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This topic is something that I've been very interested in over the last two years. Uh, and we're going to get some brief introductions on these guys and proceed. So you want to hit another slide for me, Zach? Our victims, our panelists. So let's start with Mr. Dustin all the way on the end. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Dustin Zupanzik of Dreamscape Painting out of uh, right near Vancouver, BC, Canada. And I'm just honored that uh, Nick picked me. He said he needed someone as, a, as an example. And I said, this is great. I'm literally crippled with limiting beliefs, <laughs> so it's perfect. Um, but yeah, we do, we do about 1.82 million a year is what our goal is for this year, mostly 60% uh, new construction residential and then interior repaints exteriors. Good morning, my name is uh, Chris Elliott. I am the owner and president of On It Painting. On It is located in Indianapolis, Indiana. We specialize in residential and commercial repaints. Um, we are projecting 3.6 million in revenue for 2022. Matt Kuyper, Harpeth Painting. We're out of Nashville, Tennessee. I say we because we're together. Um, we are primarily commercial painting company. We do residential as well. Uh, did five and a half last year, doing six this year. Beautiful shirt too, by the way. My name is Zach Kenny from CK Painting, uh, residential painting contractor based in Boston. We did about 1.8 last year. We should do about three, a little over three this year, projected. Awesome, all right, so that kind of lays the land here. Uh, you wanna advance me one more there, Zach? Never would have thought I would have got somebody as famous as Zach Kenny to be pushing buttons on my <laughs> laptop during one of these things, this is awesome. All right, so this is something, uh, for those of you uh, I am the, uh, who don't know, I'm the vice chair of the PCA. Uh, my friend and fellow Minnesota painter Jason Paris is the chair, uh, the board chair of the PCA. We believe in this statement very deeply. Jason said this many expos ago, and it just hit me and everybody else who was standing near us like a bolt of lightning. We believe this to be absolutely true in this economy, in this market, in our industry right now. The only competition we face is our own ability to execute our business plans. So. When you're around a group of people, you're gonna hear a lot of conversations about there's no good people out there, we can't get leads, something else, inflation, these outside externals that are holding us back from doing uh, what we need to do. We believe that if you dig a little deeper in there, most of the things that stop us from doing what we wanna do is all here. All right, thanks a lot, man. All right, next one, Zach. Okay, so uh, for anybody who's ever seen a master's class, I like to lay down a little bit of data first uh, to get some perspective. So we're going to go through some definitions of things that we're going to talk about today, because limiting beliefs, some, you can back end into it, uh, into a uh, definition by way of a few of these, which is grit. Now we all hear about grit. We all think it's just hard, hard labor. There is a scientific meaning of grit. For those of you, ever, anybody ever read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? Yes, that's the book I've been digging into the last couple of years. That's kind of monopolized my life. We actually read it together as a leadership team in my company, which they're all here today, which is awesome. Grit is perseverance plus passion. 
So, perseverance, staying the course in the face of adversity. There's no good people out there, I give up. You can do something else. One more, Zach. Passion, one unchanging superordinate goal for a long time. A superordinate goal can be something that's decades in the future that is unchanging. Next one, a limiting belief. A judgment about yourself that you think to be true that restricts you. Anybody know Tom Reber? I stole head trash. I love that statement. It's head trash. It's all head trash. One more, Zach. So, limiting belief. There is a famous saying, don't let perfection stand in the way of really good, right? It's a, it's a very known saying for a reason. Most people use that as a limiting belief. Well, if I can't make it perfect, why even try? Why even start, right? We've probably all done this ourselves. One more, Zach. The cult of talent. I'm not Jason Paris. Jason Paris is the most compliant, gritty guy I ever know. He can run four hours in the morning, do all his crazy stuff on his computers, on his keyboards with no letters on them, and he massive produces. But that's biological. Jason's got talent. Why even start? I'm never going to be like Jason Paris. That's a cult of talent. The book Grit scientifically proves that you can, the two, the two portions or the two components of grit, passion and perseverance, you can actually increase those and develop those. Next one. So the feelings is, I am who I am. The data, you can develop grit, passion, and perseverance with deliberate practice. So we're gonna ask this panel, this panel of people two questions today. What are your limiting beliefs? And how are you deliberately practice, practicing to overcome them? One more, Zach. So what is deliberate practice? It's a stretch goal. We gotta make ourselves uncomfortable, right? We have to put ourselves in a position that we haven't been in before. We need full concentration. We need a feedback loop, and you have to repeat it with constant improvement or refinement. Next one. All right, have a seat, Zach. I'll take it from here. Thank you, sir. Okay. So, who wants to start? Which victim? What is a limiting belief that you possess? We have all a right, technological right. limiting belief. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to know where to begin, which one to choose. Um, but I, when I was thinking about this, I think the biggest limiting belief for me has been anytime I think I'm doing anything well, or I get like comfortable with with uh, with something, and I think like this, it's going really well. You know, there's nothing much to improve here, um, and it's been those areas that um, I've grown the most in, I think, or seen the most. Uh, potential. I think, I think we're both in the same boat on that. Uh, recently we had a retreat with some of the people up on the panel here and my big ask of the group is the same thing is when something's not on fire, when things are going well, should you be vigilant and look for problems or, you sh or should you be happy in the new norm? And that's, that's a limiting belief, you know? Who next? I think my head trash is something that we talked about on your winter retreat and it's just that feeling of uh, it's just not enough, right? So I, I, I strive to be hyper productive, um, and a lot of my self validation comes uh, through um, uh, constant achievement. Or um, and then we also we aggressively pursue uh, pursue our goals and objectives, and then we start our next without taking a moment to, to celebrate. 
that just kind of puts you on this hamster wheel that you just can't get off and it leads to burnout um, and it can even spill over to to your team and your culture to where they want leadership is influence so you're influencing them by your actions your beliefs um, and can anybody then, relate yeah. yeah. See a lot of heads nodding, Chris. So, so then you get a whole team that's just grinding, 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 and, and it can really, uh, it can uh, be a negative impact. Yeah. Who's next? You want to? I joked this morning with some of the people here that I don't have any limiting beliefs, and I think I made that joke because I've got too many. Um, so it's kind of hard to, to pick one thing out, but um, kind of going along with what these guys said a little bit, it's, uh, like, is this a fluke? Did I get here by accident? Am I, am I doing the right things that are getting me to the next level? Um, like, am I the right person to even be doing this? It, it kind of self-doubt beliefs. Yeah. So I think um, I have two, but the biggest one for me day to day is um, just the whole fact of it's something's going to happen and this is all going to go away. So it's very similar to Matt and unfortunately he shares that limiting belief. Um, but what that's done for us uh, tangibly and practically is it's going back to what you posted. We are not following our business plan. Um, he says we're primarily commercial because that's the goal, but we do so many other things <laughs> that we have six or seven different buckets of customers um, and it's just created a lot of chaos in our company. It's successful and it's financially great, but our heads are spinning and we were so far down this hole of um, Lord only knows what we're, who we're serving and what we're doing. Um, but that all comes from the limiting belief of, but if I don't say yes to this job, then what if the referrals that are potentially coming from that customer aren't there? Or what if, you know, for us, it's a lot of work with designers. And so when they have a weird ask, I'm like, yeah, we can, plastering lamps. She asked me to plaster a lamp and I was like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> no, we can't, but we're going to figure it out um, because she gives us so much work. So it's that limiting belief of if I don't say no to something that's not in our business plan, I'm going to lose all the customers. I'm going to lose all the networks and it's all just going to go to zero. Yeah, again, nobody can relate, right? I think for me, um, two main ones that I've been working a lot on recently and made some big moves to combat. Uh, one was that I needed to be in control of my company completely um, and that I knew what was best for my company and that it was like I was always the best at everything and nobody could do it as good as me, um, as well as me. I, through a lot of um, personal growth, PCA, because I don't think I can, personally, I, don't, it's, I think it's really hard to overcome limiting beliefs in a vacuum by yourself, yes. right? Like therapists go to see therapists. They don't <laughs> do therapy on themselves because cha personal change by yourself, I think, is really hard. So I've come to these events, and my, my beliefs have changed a lot. Um, so I brought on business partners now. And the other big one that I can't believe I'm going to say today, but I believe deeply, um, I, like today, I used to think that high-quality work could not be done through subcontractors. Um, it was only through coming through PCA, where now we do ultra-high-end residential work with an all-subcontractor-based model. Um, and that was, that was a big leap. Well, it's interesting because you have multiple examples of that right on the stage with you. 
So coming here, it just shatters or exposes you to ways to shatter some of that stuff. So um, effects, Maggie, you actually uh, spoke about the effects of a limiting belief, uh, not focusing you on your business plan. Is there any other ways that that affect? How can you touch the effect of these limiting beliefs in your guys' business? What does it look like? And anybody else too, the effects of these limiting beliefs. What, what does it look like now? What friction is it causing? What chaos is it creating? I think anytime you operate out of fear, you're not gonna have the best outcome. Uh, so that the changing the mindset from, from fear to abundance maybe can help give a different perspective. Anybody else want to share an effect of, of how a limiting belief is? Yeah, I think it's um, unfair to like your team, to your company, and the people in it. Because um, you know, you're holding, if you're choosing not to grow, then you're holding um, everyone else back as well. Um, so it can be very frustrating for, for everyone else on your team. Yeah. Um, how about this? Deliberate practice. We gave the definition of deliberate practice. We all kind of understand this concept to be true, be intentional, work on something. What does it look like for you guys? We, we know we have limiting beliefs. We know we have to get rid of them. What does this look like? Does anybody do deliberate practice to overcome any of that? I think uh, for me, it's fresh. Um, acknowledging that limiting belief um, is very new, but the first step for us together, thankfully we share it, um, is we're meeting with mentors and business coaches and people that we trust, and we're going back to step one. I mean, we're over a $5 million company going back and redrawing our business plan and making sure that we're doing exactly what we should be doing to grow that business plan, not just acquire all the work that comes in our inbox. And so we're back at square one making meetings and appointments with people that matter and redrawing a company, basically. So what does a relationship look like with a accountability partner or a mentor? Obviously being transparent and open is step number one. And then having set goals that you're gonna follow back up on. Uh, I mean, those two things get you a long way. And I think too, vulnerability, like being able to talk, what do you call it, Nick, the gross stuff. Like you need to be able to talk about what you wanna make, what's your salary, what, you know, all those things that people are yeah. taught not to talk about. And those yep. are the conversations you have to have for us in drawing a business plan. Um, but anything that's super vulnerable and gross. Which I, I think also once you start to find a little bit of success, like it's harder to go get vulnerable to, I mean, I've talked to, leading up to this conference, I've talked to a number of very successful contractors that I look up to that are mentors to me who were like belittling coming here. Like, oh, like what am I gonna get from like meeting all this? It's like, that's, I never wanna get there. Like the, the idea that like growth happens through other people and being open to ideas, like the deliberate practice of being open to ideas is something I practice all the time of like, and it starts to be, a, it's a feeling you can train of like, I know this feeling of being uncomfortable, but I'm gonna, I've had it enough and then seen the rewards that I can feel comfortable in it today because I know that it might lead to something good later. Yeah. Well, Chris, you, you said something in a podcast that I appreciated, which was, that proves that leadership is a lifestyle. 
which means unsolvable, right? Like you can be really good at it, but you're never gonna wipe your hands of, oh, well, solve that whole leadership thing, right? And that's open, that's your full concentration, that's your feedback, all that stuff, so. Yeah. Chris and I have talked too about the uh, focusing on the journey and not the end result. Sure. Yeah, making, making the process as satisfying as the, the outcome, mm. right? And even to a point of detaching yourself from the outcome and just really focusing on, on the process. And I think another thing is important to address limiting beliefs because they're gonna creep back in. Um, having principles or a principle-based business. Mm. So for example, you'd put perfection up there. Um, you can make a, a principle within your business that we practice uh, progress over perfection. Right, so then it becomes part of the culture, and when we're delaying timelines because we want it to be perfect and we're not being an action-based business, the team knows, hey, no, we have a principle. When this happens, we, we don't seek perfection, we seek progress. Um, and then um, we also want to touch on the accountability partner. I, I think another important part of that is there has to be a good rhythm and a cadence to that, and those, those meetings can't be broken. So. Uh, Holiday, death and holiday, right? Like, looks a little bit like what that. I got here. Yeah. <laughs> Repetition with refinement. Exactly. So, um, either if you uh, if you come aside your team as an account a team member as accountability partner, you have to make those appointments. So, mm. if it's if it's every two weeks, if it's thirty days every or every quarter, you you keep that rhythm um, and, and stay accountable to that timeline. So one of, the, uh, one of my rocks from last year and continues to this year is to find a mentor. And it's kind of a squishy subject. I was, the definition I was given of a mentor is somebody that you would feel really, really bad if you disappointed them. Because again, accountability partner, if you don't really care if you fudge the numbers or don't be honest, that's not really great, right? Is that, is that, how do you guys think about that? Is that an accurate statement? Do you guys think about mentors in a different way? Zach and I were just chatting before this started and saying that um, being at the top and being a leader is often very lonely. Yes. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge before you step into that because a lot of you can't, if you're not in business with a spouse or you don't have a business partner, you can't go to your second in command and be vulnerable and seek mentorship. That's not a healthy boundary. And so, um, I mean, for us, mentorship comes in the form of family and friends and community right now, but they're intentional. Matt's involved in a, a small group of business owners from the school we attended. They meet monthly, and it's just kind of a round table, small business meeting. Um, we meet with both of our parents who have had a lot of entrepreneurial experience, but they're intentional meetings. They're scheduled, you know, they're planned for, they're prepared, and I personally, um, go every other week to a counselor and it's not to address any specific life trauma it's really she's more of a life coach and just that recurring every two weeks of talking about what's been a stressor for me how did I handle it you know looking forward at growth personally so that I can address those things and be my best self for my team yeah we heard Benji in his in his opening remarks about having the difficult conversations like uh, the, the start of the, a lot of these accountability and mentorship things is, you know, getting to know each other, things like that, but sooner or later, you cross a lot of those difficult conversations, and that's, if you don't do that, I don't think there's room to overcome limiting beliefs, you know, addressing the true limiting beliefs, so. Any yeah. other, oh, go ahead, Dustin. Oh, yeah, no, we have, um, in the last few years, started working with business coaches as well, and that's been, like, a huge, made a huge impact in just, 
you know, challenging a lot of those limiting beliefs that I wasn't even aware that I had. Um, and then another thing that's made a big impact is actually uh, just as of a few months ago, my brother became a partner in the company as well. Nice. And so you can imagine the delicate touch a brother has when he's telling you, the, uh, <laughs> you know, to get, get in shape or whatever. Um, but that's been super helpful. Like I, I mentioned before, there's things that you get comfortable and you're just like, oh, it's always slow this time of year or whatever, and just challenging you like to just kick it up, you know, don't accept these things. And um, one thing that's been really key for me is a lot of just careful self-examination, taking time to, to meditate on my responses and when I am challenged or when things come up and how I'm reacting and like if I'm offended, someone's challenging the way I do things is like taking some time to meditate and like, okay, you know, Where's, what's legitimate? Am I right to feel this way or not? And you know, that's been super helpful. So we hear meditation, we hear accountability partner, mentor. Is there any other way that you guys would recommend people here actually seek out their limiting beliefs? Well, Discover. I mean, I think coming to events like this has been awesome for me. <laughs> like I, I seek inspiration from, you know, of everybody in this room. And I think that's been a huge way to illuminate like areas of growth for me is just by surrounding myself with in inspiring people and people just doing things differently, you know? Um, no matter the size of the business, like people kill it in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, and that's, that's great. All right, uh, everybody get your questions ready. You guys can ask these people anything you want about limiting beliefs, deliberate practice, things like that. Uh, but any other, any other comments, any other examples of deliberate practice that you guys do to overcome limiting beliefs? I think it's, it is like a muscle though. Like it, it's something that gets trained over time and to expect to be able to bench 400 pounds, like. These guys, two of these guys can do. For the first time at the gym, like it, you know, you're gonna set yourself up for failure, but it's like those little, for me it was like a lot of little baby steps and like training the body to feel what that is like and, and not expecting perfection right away or trying to tackle the huge thing. Yeah, and it, it feels like a progress too because you're rarely, like for those of you who have read the book Grit, rarely do things hit you like a bolt of lightning. Rarely are things epiphanies. It's more of like an intentional thing where you, where you expose yourself to things, you develop your interests, and, and that brings those things out over a long period of time versus you're just taking a walk one day and all of a sudden you have thought pop into your head. <laughs> one of those things. All right, who's got a question? Who's got a question for any of the panelists up here? I'll be right there, Brad. Anybody but, anybody but Brad. <laughs> I think we're going to start with a tough one, right? Shirt for you. Uh, hey guys, thanks for hosting this. Nick, big fan, thank you. Uh, so you talk a lot about limiting beliefs, overcoming them, maybe eliminating them. My question is, is there any danger in not having any limiting beliefs? Can limiting beliefs serve as appropriate guardrails either in your personal or professional life? Well done. <laughs> so <All right. laughs> my brother, fun fact, was an opera singer for a hot second. Um, and I remember one time I tried to be in a choir. It didn't go well. But I was super nervous before the concert, and he said to me, nerves keep you focused. 
And I, I was like eight when he said that. And I held, he also said, don't drink milk before the concert. But <laughs> I held on to that for the longest time because I thought, wow. I mean, because then I went on to be an athlete and, and every other thing you do in life. And I just always heard in the back of my brain, you know, my 10-year-old brother being like, nerves keep you focused. And I thought, yes, they do, right? Because if you're not scared and if you're not thinking about yourself and introspectively analyzing um, then you're probably screwing up, I would guess. Do we agree that that can be taken to an extreme, however? The, the ruminating, the anxiety, that, that feels to me like that could, you could only fixate on that. I, 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 most of us believe that a little bit of that is healthy, but it feels like you could be crippled by it. <laughs> yeah, there's the, the inverted you they talk about in sports psychology, right? So it's, if you're not focused at all, then you have poor performance. And if you're way too hyper-focused, you have poor performance, you have to find that perfect amount of focus to have optimal performance. Do you guys believe you can ever run out of limiting beliefs? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that it's, it's, like, it's pretty deep human psychology of like safety and protection. And I also think our human bodies are much better at keeping us alive. Like our biology is wired to keep us alive over keep, like make us thrive. And I think we have to do a lot of work to get past like living and like staying safe, like especially through traumas in life and like experience will teach you like if I do this, I'll stay safe. To do the thing that makes you thrive oftentimes is getting uncomfortable, getting over those limiting beliefs that kept you safe. So to get rid of them all at one time, is like probably incredibly dangerous. But to, and so it's like, yeah, thank you for like being their limiting belief. You got me to the point where I can now address you, but now I gotta let you go. Yeah. All right, so who else? Who else has questions for the panelists? I have a question. All right. Here we are, sir. One of these for you. Thank you. I'm Red uh, from Red's Painting. So when you talk about limited beliefs, the thing that gets me all the time is that two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning when you're woken up and you're like, oh, and I know I'm not gonna get back to sleep for another hour, hour and a half. So, you know, I make notes on the side of the bed. I'm like, I've got to fix this tomorrow. What do you guys do? How do you overcome that stuff? Thank you. Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> I think you just have to revisit your, your overall goal um, and make sure uh, those thoughts or those beliefs align with it so you can stay focused. I, and I think it's just important that we, that we pay attention to our beliefs, whether they're uh, positive or negative. Our positive beliefs can be productive and move us towards action, and our negative beliefs can be, can be toxic and, and harmful. Um, and, uh, you know, really everything, everything we consume is, is going to affect our our beliefs, right? So the books we read, the music we listen to, the podcasts that we listen to, the events that we participate in. And I think it's just incredibly important that we maintain a growth mindset and be, you don't have to change every one of your beliefs, but be open to challenging your beliefs. Um, and you know, that's really just uh, fighting dogma, you know, like not accepting status quo and uh, be willing to grow even at the uh, sacrifice of adopting a new belief, even though that can be painful. I mean, a lot of us don't want to take ownership because th 
that puts the burden on somebody else. You know, if we take ownership, we now own that burden, and now we put ourselves in a position to have to come overcome it. Now you and have to do as he was saying, our brains just our brains don't want to burn calories, right? So we just want to do what's easy. So um, I think that you know it all ties back to just being optimistic and, and maintaining growth uh, a growth mindset. So Red. Um Within the last couple of days, somebody, I had brought up that same question to somebody in this room, and they had told me, when that happens, write it down, write down the possible effects of that, and then write down what you're going to do about it. I've done it once since then, hasn't worked yet, but that's only one data point. So I feel like just like anything else, developing that and trying it over time might be good. But that's, yeah, that was a very specific piece of advice. I Nick, can I comment on that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I love that question because for the first time in my life, I've had those 2 a.m. and 3 a.m thoughts and feelings and things. And um, I had someone in my life call them floating orbs. They're like, you just need to pin down the floating orbs. And that analogy was super good for me because sometimes you do. Sometimes it's just a matter of writing down what you forgot to do and letting that, like letting your brain rest because it knows it has a place and it won't get forgotten. The whole thing about like, don't get out of bed, don't turn on a light, don't do anything in the middle of the night is so wrong. Like your brain needs to put that, it needs to pin down that floating orb. Um, and obviously sometimes those orbs are bigger and heavier because they're more existential. Um, but I found a lot of help in the simple things of like, oh my gosh, I forgot to send that cabinet bid. Okay, I'm just gonna jot it down. Orb is pinned and my brain can rest. Orb is pinned, I like that, Maggie Kuiper. So I have a parking lot in my notes on my phone and the parking lot is just like, I'm gonna park it there and I'll, if I'm not ready to handle it now, I'll come back to it in the future and it just gives me comfort that no, hey, that was a good idea. I'm not ready for it now, but it's there for when I am. The parking lot of orbs. I like that. <laughs> Who else has a question? Right up front here. Mr. Randy. One for you. Thank you. So how can, how do you uh, pass this on into your, with leadership in your company? You know, it's not just for us, I assume this is a life thing, right? Any ideas on how you might pass it on, help your managers get there? And then, of course, the managers should be handing that down the line, too. Any comments, sir? I think for us, it starts with demonstrating, you know, humility to, you know, that they see us, see me and see um, Dan working through things and challenging each other and admitting to them when we make mistakes and have got things wrong. I think it really starts uh, there and, and just fostering that kind of, of culture so that when we come to address them with something we see in them to further develop their skill set, you know, that they're in a place that they can receive that. Anybody else want to tackle that one? Yeah, I think you just have to build it into your framework of your business. So um, your, your uh, values as an organization, your company beliefs, um, your, um, the principles that you instill into your business. So then again, it's already there and it just overcomes it as it happens. Kind of tag teaming off what they said. Um, one of our core values is continuous improvement. And I feel like this kind of falls in that category. Uh, and then just being, being aware of it as a team and talking about it, like, you know, why, why do we think this way? What are we going to do to progress? Are we going to still have this belief a year from now, or are we going to try to change it? Yeah, because it's, it's not enough to like have a core value of continuous improvement and then make decisions and behave in a way that doesn't reflect 
that core value, right? It's like, I think I see that a lot. I've been guilty of it where you're like, here's what we stand for. But then in like the crisis moment, you act differently. And so I think a lot of it's that. It's like actually like practicing what you preach. One of the things we've tried to do with our children is um, empathize with emotions they're feeling. You know, like, oh, you're nervous? I felt nervous the other day. Or, oh, you feel overwhelmed? Man, yesterday I felt super overwhelmed when X, Y, and Z happened. Um, our leadership team is super young. Um, and so I kind of approach it the same way. Like, man, I know that feeling. Like, that customer was really hard to handle. And I know that that was really heavy. Like, and just letting them know that we felt it. Like, verbalizing that emotion, I think, brings it to their level. We haven't used the term emotional intelligence yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't used that ping term yet. Add it to your vocabulary, Nick. I love that. I'm, I'm adding words, the emotional, what is it? Parking lot of orbs. I'm, <laughs> adding, I'm adding it all together here, so. Okay, who's got a, we're gonna try one from the back. Who's got a question back here for any of the panelists? Oh, here we are. For you guys. So, we've talked about the you know, limitations and stuff, but how do you stay positive? Like how, when it becomes so much, and you know, you're having one of those days where things are going in a thousand and one directions, nothing's going right, how do you just step back and stay positive for those that you're working with, for your customers, and yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna bosh this quote, but there's an Einstein quote that says, the most important decision someone has to make is whether they live in a hostile or friendly um, universe. And I think it's just a decision. Like you ha If you live in a hostile universe, you're going to be hostile and you're gonna make hostile decisions. So you just have to make the choice um, to be positive. R remind yourself, so something my wife and I tell each other is like, we chose this. Like we, we decided to launch this business and we knew there was gonna be ebbs and flows to business because everything has ebbs and flows. So if the expectation is it's going to be painful, then why be negative, right? You knew it was gonna be there. So we, we chose this life, we chose this thing, and we're gonna be positive even in the face of adversity. Love that. From, yeah. a, from a team leadership perspective. <laughs> Big thumbs up from Zach <laughs> uh, There's a certain degree of fake it till you make it, unfortunately. And I think it's, it's super helpful to have a real um, dialed-in mission statement. You know, it's something that your three, five, ten-year goals that you're looking towards. So when you have those hard times, you can still, you know, weigh those limiting beliefs and the challenges kind of against your mission statement. And, um, you know, so you can see and track that progress. And for me, like, the, like in the heat of the moment, like, I've yet to find a strategy that's much better than writing a gratitude list in the moment. Mm. Like, no matter where your head's at, if, like, it's not easy to do when you're not feeling good, but if you literally take a pen and write down five things you're grateful for, like, just, it's because it's a mindset thing at the end of the day. And, you know, it's so cliche, but mindset is everything. You know, how are you seeing the same situation? That paradigm shift in thought is, can, you can see it from a new perspective. So writing a gratitude list is incredibly beneficial. Uh, hearty face from Chris. 
So I, I hear both of you guys say that. Uh, does anybody here think they celebrate enough of their wins? Or do you, do you feel like you maybe do not celebrate enough of your wins? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think many of us do. Who's got another question? This side of the room, back here. Anybody over here? Over there, here we go. Um, as a younger person, a lot of people don't think you have the experience to run a business or run a, a job or be a lead. Um, how do you overcome that feeling of you can't do this because you don't have X amount of uh, experience? Man, that's awesome. Love that one. <laughs> you repeat the yeah. question. He said, how do you overcome people maybe not respecting you because of age or experience? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, so Matt looked like he was 40 since he was 20. So he's 100% not allowed to answer that question. And nobody's ever going to say that to Matt either. So. On the flip side, I walk onto job sites, and not only is it the on larger job sites, obviously a homeowner housewife is going to love this, but you know, on the commercial side or the new construction side, to be a young female walking on the job site, and I know you're not a young female, but I'm empathizing with um, the question. It's super hard, and that's actually the limiting belief that I didn't share, is my second one, is just the sheer fact that I don't, I don't belong here. Like I was, I was a teacher and a coach for 10 years, and this painting thing came in. Um, I think I'm really good at business, and I think I have a lot to offer, but I don't actually know how to turn on a sprayer. So there's definitely, um, I share that limiting belief maybe from a different angle, um, but what I learned when I was a teacher is the most powerful thing you can do is say, I don't know, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn, or I'm gonna figure it out, or I'm gonna get back to you. And that's the most terrifying thing to say as a young female, already feeling like I'm having to prove myself to whoever. I don't know who I'm proving myself to, but. Um, I think just acknowledging, you know, I do have other gifts that I'm bringing to this situation, but I'm gonna have to look you in the eye and say, I'll, I don't, I don't know, so. It sounds like something you've deliberately practiced over the years, Maggie. Good call. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's having a clear understanding of what you are bringing to the table and doubling down on that and like knowing and, and gaining skills. Like you have to be the real deal so hopefully you are, then it's just like, here's me. And I think saying I don't know is something, we talk about that in my company all the time. It's so powerful, it builds trust. When you say I don't know, I think it builds trust more than, than um, acting like, because the second you act like you know everything, especially when you're young, people are gonna see right through it. Yeah. I just think also, I mean, you can't con you focus on what you can control you can't control your age, obviously if we could. Matt and I would dial it back a couple years. Um, um, but yeah, focus on it. Woo, great advice so far. I mean, just focus on uh, your experience, your expertise, what you're bringing to the table, and um, just leave the things that you can't control behind you. Love it. Who's got another question for these fine people? Hey guys. Um, so something I combat is, uh, is, is walking this line of you know, being happy with my business, but, and, uh, but at the same time, like not wanting to be complacent. 
and but also like you know celebrating the wins and and being happy you know so like how do you balance uh you know being happy where you're at but also wanting to push to be bigger or better um etc bill we've been talking about this a lot with actually a lot of the people on this stage and a few out in the audience there um I picked up this microphone and I don't have an answer. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in the same boat. Um, you, you get to a certain point where you're, you're past the uh, everything's on fire stage. And kind of like Nick said, do you go looking for another fire or do you try to celebrate what you've got and make incremental improvement? Uh, so again, I don't know, but great question. I think uh, Jason Paris actually has a really awesome perspective on this. Um, I'm not going to quote him on it, but we've talked about it before. And sort of like that feeling of like it's, it's my duty to like maximize my, my potential. Like as a human being, I've been given things and opportunities. And it's just it's on me to maximize that to, to I don't know if you're spiritual or whatever, to like feel like I'm doing the best I can in this world. And so for me, like that's like continuing to improve. And but I, I mean, I I try to folks stay in the positive all the time. It, it feeds me, fuels me. But you know, when, when you think like, oh, things are good, it's like, yeah. But it's my duty as a human that was given all this opportunity to live in this country and and have all these things. Like it's it's awesome. I should like do my best to maximize this potential, even if I'm like I have enough. You know. I don't know, it's, it's an interesting thought. I think also, you know, as our, our businesses mature, if you're a visionary, you get your business to a certain point and it hits maturity and you really need an integrator to run that business from there, uh, a visionary will be miserable in that position. Um, and so I think, but when we do hit that level of maturity, you, they don't have to be huge growth goals. It can just be starting to just dial everything in make the business more, uh, uh, just start to perfect it uh, or get as close to it as you can. Um, and uh, you should be able to find fulfillment in, in that. Uh, I'm probably a horrible person to, to answer this question though because uh, in the military we, we had a saying that was com uh, complacency kills. So I, uh, I don't find myself in a complacent point very often, uh, which is what I led with my limiting belief is, you know, it's just never enough. I think contentment and rest are the two most uncomfortable words for business owners. Um, it makes us feel like we're not progressing or we're <laughs> worthless or um, gonna fail. But I also think kind of like Zach's been saying, those are things you can train. They're things that you can identify um, and enjoy and actually probably be a better business owner when you do. Yeah. and I. I I totally agree. I think, um, again, we need to weigh our feelings, our emotions against like our, our mission statement and, and, our, and our goals because, you know, is your goal to be a $10, $15 million business and, you know, or is it to, is your goal to spend, you know, 20 hours a week at work and the rest of the time at the cabin with the family? Um, and neither is wrong. And maybe you can accomplish one at uh, $500,000 a year in revenue. Um, and so, like, 
I, I totally agree. Like being, there's nothing wrong with being content <laughs> or being happy. Um, and just because you feel like you should be doing something, you know, if that doesn't really match your goals, like you're just going to drive yourself crazy. I like that. All right. Do we have a question from this side of the room here? Oh, right here. One of these for you. Uh, Troy Frederick, um, Northeast Florida's Walk of Fame paint and more. Uh, I came, from, came up from the wrong side of the tracks myself and uh, been painting my whole life, second generation. And the limiting belief that I have is that my reputation, my background is not what customers look for. Uh, and I struggle with, you know, going to estimates and having that nervous twitch, you know, I mean, I'm really nervous and anxious about getting the estimate and it, it's very overwhelming for me, but so far it's going very well. How far have, has it taken y'all? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And just one thing I would I would just say is like um, sometimes you just need to look at the data as well, you know, and um, to find out if what you're feeling is true or not. And if you know things are going well and your clothes weight is great, then maybe what you're feeling just isn't true. And if you, if you know that you're a good value in the market, like if you would want your, mo your grandma to hire you and your company, which I think, I don't know, I think we should all be building companies that add value to the market. For me, that's, that's help, that helps me sell when selling is, was uncomfortable. It's like you're not selling to get something from them. You're selling to, to save them from hiring somebody else that would have not given them as much as you were going to give them. So for me, when I change that mindset of like, I'm here to save you and to, to, to serve you, the sales process is not about me anymore. So I, I had, uh, I'll, I'll share one uh, from, this is maybe my fourth or fifth expo now. And one of the first one or two that I went to, I was expressing some similar things. Well, what about this? This always happens on an estimate. And people say, what? Feels to me like that may not happen on all those. Every time you do an estimate, you should actually write down the times when people say, I'm not gonna buy this paint job because of your reputation. And then when you look back at the long list of times where nobody ever addressed it, the data and the feelings will comfort you. It has, it has in the past for me, but it took years to sort of get that to say, you can address your own limiting beliefs by overlaying data on top of it sometimes. I've gotten great comfort from that. Anybody else on that one? Yeah. Um, uh, I think it was on the slide, deliberate practice, or what did it say, something like that? Yep. Uh, if, it's, if it's your confidence that's lacking, there's definitely some, some tips and tricks that you can do with, with mock sales processes and um, what's the word, like, well, yeah, just things that you can have in your, in your verbal toolbox to use where you're not going off the cuff every time and, and you kind of practice what you're going into before you even get there, kind of take some of the nerves off. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm Tom with uh, Heritage Painting out of Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, I have a question for the married couple up there because me and my wife are partners in our business and she runs the office, you know, we have an operations manager, but how do you guys turn it off? Um, you know, when you get home, sometimes it's tough. I mean, our, our three kids uh, have grown and they're out of the house now. I, I think you guys have younger children. Um, we've been in business for 27 years, so our oldest is 30. 
When they were younger, we always made sure we had family time. But how do you turn it off as a married couple? And I don't know if there's a lot of couples in here that are husband-wife uh, operators, but I'm just curious what you guys do for that. Yeah, and Chris is also in business with his wife, Emily, who's in the middle over there. So I'm sure he'll want to touch on that. And I think that's a great question. Um, because I would also argue that even if you're not legally in business with your spouse, the majority of you still discuss the business with your spouse. And that's not everyone. Some people don't at all, which is unbelievable. <laughs> um, I asked Jason Paris that the other day. I was like, so do you talk to your wife about these acquisitions? He's like, no, she has no idea what we do. I'm like, okay, cool. Good for her. Um, so a couple just logistical things with us and yeah we have three kids that are younger so if you've ever heard me talk on this you've heard me say that we have the same day so if work is hard we both had a hard day and then we come home and we have the same house chores the same kids the same baseball practice whatever we have it's all the same and so there's not that give and take of like oh you had a rough day well mine was fine I got this um, and so it's hard for us we kind of have a rule that you know pretty much once we sit down for family dinner or whatever kind of that benchmark is, the conversations are done. And we will literally ask permission if we need to bring up a work question. Like Matt will say, hey, can I ask you to work something? And typically it's just, you know, a random email that came up to clarify something for the morning. And so we've really tried to set those, because I would talk about 24 seven and still put my head on the pillow and be fine. That's not how he's wired. Um, and I think even if you're wired like me, it's still not healthy to let it keep spinning. You have to set those boundaries. Got nothing else to add to that. Chris Elliott, how say you? Yeah, I think, I think for us, it's, um, you have to preset those boundaries. Um, Maggie, as she just said, I mean, there's moments that it's 8 p.m. and I wanna talk about um, painting and uh, my wife is like no <laughs> uh, and then there's moments when it's 8 p.m. and we both are fully engaged in it so I think you have to preset the boundaries and then also just have uh, really great communication and be okay saying hey right now can't do it right um, uh, but it is I mean it's it is such a, an advantage for us as well because those like you know we are 8 p.m. And if we're both open to it, we're totally engaged in having a conversation uh, about business. And man, that's so it's so special. So even though there's times where it's just like it is um, a lot to bring home, uh, it it's equally as productive. Dustin, you have a different form of family relationship. Your brother is a partner with you. How do you guys keep this from creeping into what you guys do outside of this? Yeah. Um and, and my dad started the company as well, so kind of family get-togethers can... Um, but you know, it, it, for me, it's not, it's not too hard. I actually, um, I don't live to work. <laughs> um, and I would prefer, I, don't, I prefer not to think about it if I don't have to. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to put people in place to relieve those stresses from me because I will fixate and it'll stress me out. Um, and so, you know, I talked to my, my wife some about it, but I quickly learned, I don't have to turn it off because I learned it is a big turn off to uh, <laughs> talk about work too much. Um, so yeah. Not in my marriage. <laughs> we also have set aside um, a weekly meeting. It's actually a date night, but it's a weekly meeting. And Matt will create a parking garage. Is that what you called it? 
parking lot and he'll have like a list on his phone of things that he's planning to talk. Because in, in reality, there's not that many emergencies, right, True. in painting. There aren't really. We think they are. And so he, he does. He comes with a list on his phone of all the things that we need to talk about, whether it's big picture growth, hiring, little details, whatever it is. Um, and so we address. Or he'll just fire me with emails throughout the week. And then at our weekly get together, I just pull up all his emails. And so we kind of, again, we pin our orbs down <laughs> and address them when it's appropriate. Yeah, I, I agree too. Just back to with my brother, we typically work really hard during the day and um, we try really hard to respect each other's time with our family. We all have young kids and it's just, you know, we saw the diagram with all those weeks, you know. I don't want, don't want to waste any more time thinking about someone's cabins than I have to. You want to talk about data plus feelings. Brandon Vaughn, that's a feeling we all possess and, uh, you know, Everybody older than us will always say it goes by so quick, but when you have to stare at it on a matrix of dots, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> and, and I think also when, when you limit the time that you can work, you have to get more efficient. Like when I first started, like I would just, I was the king of throwing more hours at things <laughs> and, and getting, and holding my hat, like, like that was what I was proud of. I worked 16 hour days. Like if I like today when I hear somebody say that I'm like oh like I remember I was like that and I was I I was it was because I was inefficient it wasn't because I'm like some sort of superhero I think that's a really good point is creating natural bookends for your days and your weeks so it's like hey my day ends the bookend is 6 p.m. for me or, or whatever and then it's just done. Um, they say the most productive week that you have uh, in, in a year is the week leading up to vacation, right? Because there's that natural bookend. I have to have all my shit done because I'm out all next week, right? So if you, if you build that into your schedule, um, it can shut it down and then you're, you transition to that, to that family time. Yeah, what would you say maybe categorically or specifically have been limiting beliefs that overcoming them has led to some of your greatest success? I, I mean, the stuff that I was talking about before, like my life since bringing on business partners is, is so much better. Like I get to do in my company what I love and what I'm good at. And I have people who are really good and love doing the things I hate and they're doing that now. Like, but there was most of time where I would have, that was not something I could have even conceived as something I might think about doing. And today it's like, oh, like, and same thing with subcontractors. I don't, like, it's, it's, my life is so much better because we have subcontractors and not employees. But again, it was like, you just can't even conceive it until you're around it enough and it like slowly seeps in. If I hear what you're saying right, Zach, it was your limiting belief that nobody can do it better than me? 100%. Yeah. How many people here share that or have bumped up against that one? Yeah. That's a big one in our industry, for sure. For a hard hand raise all the way in the back there. <laughs> now I'm dealing with what am I actually good at? <laughs> well, you've heard that reiterated a few times up here. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it, as you go through the different stages of business, that's why we talked about running out of limiting beliefs. Like you don't even know the limiting beliefs you may have as you go through different stages of business because new ones will likely pop up. They have for a lot of us. So. 
Um, so you guys have obviously achieved a level of success that I think um, everybody here strives to. I myself have already um, achieved a level of success that I didn't think that I would. Is there ever a time that you would say like that imposter syndrome starts to go away or you start to feel more at peace of where you're at and just, I don't know, that's it. Uh, for me, it's, it's only intensified <laughs> more than anything. Yep. I, every high performer that I know, or many of the high performers I know, I, I think that's like a, a, comes with the, the whole thing. Like, if you want to be a high performer, the imposter syndrome is there. And I, I like you, I, I'm, I've far exceeded anything I ever could have imagined my life being. Um, five years ago, ten years ago, it's like, it's like laughable. Um, but you just like you just readjust and that's where I think being around other people being around these guys like it it makes me better and it changes what I think is possible and I think that's if if you're not changing what you think is if I'm not changing what I think is possible constantly like I'm doing something wrong because learning I hope is not something that stops after high school or college like I've done way more learning post school than in school I heard uh, a pretty good summary of that experience. It's called getting gapped. It's where somebody shows you where you are and what the potential is, and the gap between there is, gives you that come to Jesus moment sometimes. So that's a good. All right, we got time for one more question. Was there one? Yep, right here. Thank you. Uh, Zach, if you're, uh, you think no one can do things as well as you, uh, or, um, let me just start over. I think, I, I'm curious whether uh, one type of limiting belief can be uh, not just head trash that we believe uh, or have doubts, self-doubts about ourselves, but limiting beliefs about other people. No one is as committed as me. No one is as passionate. No one else uh, in the company is uh, putting out as much effort whether it's time or just effort or passion. Um, so is, is that a type of a limiting belief and how does this model of limiting beliefs apply to our, our misgivings or uh, doubts about our team members and how do you as leaders uh, deal with that? So it's I, interesting you say that because I mean, what's the biggest limiting belief in our industry right now? No good people out there. Is that true? Of course not, all right, take it away, panel. I think, I don't, I don't know if by definition, but I think limiting belief can only be your own thing. I don't think you can uh, project limiting beliefs on other people. Um, it's kind of the, uh, uh, maybe it's the sailboat analogy of, of you can't control the wind, but you can adjust your sails. I, I also think like, like it's it's useful for me to like understand that I'm not special and that I'm part of the human race and like humans are like way more alike than we are different right and like just look at large scale like studies of of humans like I I deeply believe in like I'm as human as everyone here and like if a bunch of people do something this way and it works like it will work for me too and I think it's the same thing like when you start to, when I start to think I'm special or different, 
it, it's not helpful in m most of life, but especially in leading people. You know, when you can start to go, well, they're like me, they're humans, it, it helps me at least treat people, you know, and not li put limiting things on them. Anybody else? We got time for one quick one. Who's got one? Last one, right front row. Hi there, uh, this is Squeak Paramo from Paramo Paying, San Antonio, Texas. Um, I think one, every time we face or we're trying to solve, like we get to the point that we know we facing uh, these things. What you can tell to the people who is barely opening their heads to coming to this place and and they they already solved those limited beliefs how you can try to prevent how you can try to avoid the aha moment when you're like oh man i was wrong how you can try to do prevent not doing it but at, at least get hurt out of it i don't know if i explain myself you, with the years of experience that you all have, how you can see it coming before you, you get into, you call it bankruptcy, or start having your, going to the cliff with your company, and of course you're gonna drag a lot of people with that, how you can see that coming. How, what practice can have us do, to, to do that? I heard that the, ma the muscle that you create, I know with experience, but also I want to hear from you, like your, your personal experiences. Thank you. For me, I, I mean, I think, like they say, knowledge is learning from your mistakes and wisdom is learning from others. You know, it's really hard to practice wisdom. You know, I can talk to people and it's like, but again, it comes down to, well, I'm special and I'm different, but I'm not. And so, coming to these places and talking to people and trying to practice wisdom, trying to learn from others' mistakes and not having to make it myself, um, that's been huge. It's really hard to do, though. Yeah, it's basically the same thing of, of surrounding yourself with individuals who can help you with those things, either specific mentor or, or groups like this. I think that learning from other people can prevent a lot of heartache. Yeah, other people will give you a heck of a good perspective, too. Anybody else? All right, folks. Um, these are some of my favorite people in the industry. They are open and humble and honest, and I appreciate them being here. Let them know that you appreciate them. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.